It's great to see everyone here this morning, and it's great to be here. I'm so thankful to be back in Bakersfield. I believe this is the second time I've preached in Bakersfield. The first time was over at Brundage Lane. That was about 15 years ago, I think, and that was when I was just starting out preaching. And uh, when I was first starting out, Matt Trent was working in El Cajon. That's where I live and work. So wherever I'd go to a meeting or something, go up, come up here to the valley or go up to uh, Sacramento area, Matt would always call somebody, and I get a call and say, hey, we want you to come speak. And they had no idea who I was. They never heard me before. I wasn't, very, I wasn't good at all. <laughs> but they really wanted to encourage me to preach and to get going. So I really appreciate you inviting me. For those of you that don't know me, I work with the congregation in El Cajon down in the San Diego area for the last 10 years. Also for the last two years, I've been working for a congregation in Tecate, Mexico. Very thankful for that. And of course, we have a three-week-old baby that we decided to bring up here for our drive this morning. And she did great, by the way. We were the ones running behind. The baby did fine. <laughs> but I'm so thankful to be here to worship God with you, because that's what we're doing. We came here as the church, the body of Christ, to worship our God and our Savior. Now, I don't know everyone here. I do know there are some sports fans here. And I'll admit, in El Cajon, I gave a lot of sports analogies. I coached, I played sports, so I tried to limit them. But the two lessons I brought, I opened with the sports analogy. So if you don't like sports, well, tell me later, maybe after I'm done. When I was in fifth grade, uh, in our area, we were all really excited because the Chargers were going to be in the Super Bowl. And that's a team that used to be in San Diego, which I don't pay attention to them now. They're traders in L.A. But growing up in San Diego, in my elementary school, went to a very small elementary school. Half the kids were Charger fans, it seemed like, and half the kids were 49er fans. They're bandwagon fans, of course. They're probably Patriots fans now. Well, at that time... We were getting excited for the Super Bowl. We were getting ready for the big game. And at school, we were you know, kind of going back and forth on who was going to win. Of course, I was so confident the Chargers were going to beat the 49ers in that Super Bowl. It's like, well, we got a good defense. We got a good running back. I mean, Steve Young, what has he ever done? You know, he's never won anything. You don't have Joe Montana anymore. We were so confident that the Chargers were going to win. And then, of course, the game started. And it was over within the first five minutes of the game. It was very clear the 49ers were a much better team. And not only were we not going to win, we were embarrassed. And I remember thinking, I do not want to go back to school on Monday <laughs> to face all my friends who were 49er fans. Well, sometimes in life, we're so confident that something's going to happen. We're so confident in the way that we think, that we... We can't even comprehend that we could be wrong. Now, I'm sure every single one of you here is confident that where you need to be is here, part of the church of Christ, that you understand the scriptures, that you understand the Bible, and that you are confident that you are in the right place worshiping God today. You know, there, was, there have been people in the Bible who felt that way. And we're going to learn about one of these characters in the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul lived his life with complete 
confidence. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about before he became Paul and when he was Saul. But when he was Saul, he was completely confident in his mindset. Now, Paul was a zealous Jew. This is how he referred to himself in scriptures. Now, zeal is great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or an objective. Writing about his own life in Acts 22 and 3, he says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Sicilia, but brought up in the city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all you are this day. The Apostle Paul lived a privileged life. He was educated in the Jewish law. He says he was a Pharisee. Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. Now, he's explaining to this to show his, his credentials. He says, I was, I was so immersed in the law. I was zealous for God. Not only that, but I was educated in the way of the Greeks and philosophy. And Paul really saw himself as kind of the bridge between two worlds. Here is a man that says he was zealous for God. Now, that's something that we, I think we talk about in, in worship, that we're zealous. Well, in Jewish culture, to say that you were zealous, I think it has a greater meaning than we actually understand today as Christians. When Paul says that he was zealous, he was willing to use violence on behalf of God. Think about his persecution of the church. It was an outward sign. It was a badge that you could be zealous in this way. Now, he had great influences in being a Pharisee and his knowledge of the scriptures. And in my understanding of Jewish history, there was a, a folk hero in the Bible that, as Christians, we don't pay a lot of attention to. But Jews, they knew about him. And when you say that you were zealous, you were kind of in this same mindset. And this man's name is Phineas. He was a folk hero among Jewish people. Now, the story of Phineas, not a long story, but it begins in Numbers 25. We find ourselves, and of course, God's people, the children of Israel, have taken upon false gods. They're not living the right way. They're not living the right way at all. And Phineas is son of Aaron. Now it says, while Israel remained at Shittim, the people began to play the harlot with the daughters of Moab. For they invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel joined themselves to Baal Peor, and the Lord was angry against Israel. The Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of the people and execute them in broad daylight before the Lord, so that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, each of you slay his men who have joined themselves to Baal of Peor. God is mad. He's not happy. He told Moses, you have all strayed. You know, I want all these men to be executed. We see here in verse 6. Then behold, one of the sons of Israel came and brought to his relatives a Midianite woman. In the sight of Moses, in the sight of all the congregation of the son of Israel, sons of Israel, while they were weeping at the doorway of the tent meeting, 
What, what is he saying? While this proclamation was being made that there's going to be mass execution, everyone's crying, everyone's in tears, they're all weeping. And here, a man takes a woman into his tent right in front of everyone. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like this. Usually I can think of with my kids where the boldness to disobey in front of everybody. Maybe in, in school you've seen something like this or at work. But everyone's about to get executed. And the reason why is because of their, their fornication and their serving false gods. And here is a man that does the act right in front of everybody, right when this is happening. Now, I don't think I can put myself in Moses' shoes, but I try to, and as a preacher, I think you would just be shocked, just be speechless. You wouldn't even know what to say, like the audacity. Like, people are not going to die, and you're going to disobey God right in front of everybody. Well, it doesn't say what everyone was thinking, but obviously... Everyone knew this was wrong. But one man had enough. He had enough, and that was Phineas. It says, verse 7, When Phineas, son of Elziar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he, heard, he arose from the midst of the congregation and took a spear in his hand, and he went after the man of Israel into the tent and pierced both of them through. The man of Israel and the woman through the body. So the plagues of the sons of Israel was checked. Those who died by the plague were 24,000. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Phinehas, the son of Elziar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned away my wrath from the sons of Israel, in that he was jealous with my jealousy among them, so that I did not destroy the sons of Israel in my jealousy. Phinehas was a man of zeal. He saw what needed to be done, and he, in a violent way, stood up for God, and because of that, God relented. We read about this occasion in Psalm 106, 28 to 31. It says, and the psalmist writes, Then they yoked themselves the Baal of Peor and ate sacrifices offered to the dead. They provoked the Lord to anger with their deeds, and a plague broke out, broke out among them. Then Phineas stood up and intervened, and the plague was stayed. And that was counted to him as righteousness from generation to generation forever. Phineas is essentially a minor character in the Bible. But to a Jewish person, he was a hero. The same language that is talked about Abraham is mentioned here of Phineas. As someone who was counted to him as righteousness. When you hear that and you're a Jewish person, your ears perk up. You know what that means. An everlasting covenant with God. We see another example, someone as such as Elijah. And just real quickly, in 1 Kings chapter 18, of course, he had the prophets of Baal slaughtered. And he says later in 1 Kings chapter 19, kind of reflecting on his past, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. These people fought for God, and people died because of it. Well, the Apostle Paul looked upon the zeal of Phineas and Elijah and others, in his persecution of the church. This is why I'm telling you about this. It may not seem, why, why are we talking about Phineas and Elijah? I thought we were talking about Paul. Well, 
This is the Apostle Paul's influence. Why did he persecute the church? He saw himself like Elijah. He saw himself like Phineas. Now here are these false prophets rising up and they're defiling God. Paul says, I'm going to stand up. I'm going to stop this. He was zealous. In Paul's defense of King Agrippa in Acts 26, and verse, starting in verse 9, he says, I myself was convinced that he ought to do many things in opposition to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them, even to foreign cities. It's starting to make sense, isn't it? Apostle Paul saw the church, Jesus, as the enemy of God. Now, there are many people in this world who are like Paul, or who were like Paul fully convinced what they were doing was right. There are people out there who are fully convinced that there's no God. They're fully convinced that their religion is correct. They're fully convinced that their understanding of the scriptures is right. Apostle Paul, before he became Paul, when he was Saul, he felt this way. And not just as, well, I'm excited about my religion and I talk. No, he was willing to persecute people, throw them in prison, do whatever it takes, just like Phineas, just like Elijah. But that all changed one day, didn't it? That all changed. His eyes were opened. In Acts 22, he says, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From then I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Saul's life was forever changed when he met Jesus Christ. Of course, Jesus had instructions for him to go speak to Ananias, skipping ahead here in verse 12. And when Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken by all the Jews and lived there, who lived there, came to me, standing by me, said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And that very hour received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him, to everyone of whom you have seen and heard. And now why, are you wait? why do you wait? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. The Apostle Paul met Jesus Christ. Now, of course, we're just getting an abbreviated version, but we see the transformation. He got baptized into Christ that day. 
I underline this passage right here. It says, and you will be a witness for him. Do you ever ever wonder why some people in the Bible get more things written about them than other people? I, I often think about that, is that, you know, I'd like to know more about this person. I'd like to know more about this person. Why is there so much about Paul? Is that Paul wrote so many of the books, and why is he so important? Obviously, he's not as important as Jesus. We understand that. But why, why is so much written about him? The life of the Apostle Paul was to be a testimony for all people. He was the bridge of two worlds. He was a Jew who fought for the Jewish way even to put people to death. Stoning of Stephen, Stephen, the Apostle Paul was there holding their clothes, watching over everything. That's what he was. Well, not only was the Apostle Paul converted, God had a use for him. And he became one of the most prolific preachers in the church. What a powerful testimony. What a powerful testimony from Jesus. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, this is a faithful saying in whom worthy acceptance that Jesus Christ came to the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul said, I was against the church. I was the worst sinner. What are we supposed to do with that information? It's like, well, that's interesting. That's, that's a good thing to know. God's telling us. You know those people out there who think they're lost? Well, many of them, of course, are lost. They think that, you know what, the Christian life is just too hard. I can't overcome my sins. I don't think I can change. Have you ever heard those words from somebody? I know I have. I know people in the church that have told me that they don't think they're going to heaven. Because they can't overcome the things that they struggle with. Paul says, I was the worst sinner. But Jesus Christ changed me. And I used that zeal that I had against the church to be zealous for the Lord in Jesus Christ. The point of this is, Do not lose hope. Do not lose hope on yourself, on your family, on your friends, to those you meet. The gospel can change your life and can change the life of others. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, if you if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seating at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things of the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. God knew that we were going to need a Savior. That we were weak. That we could not do this on our own. That's why he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. That's the thing. We're not strong enough. If you feel that, you know, I'm just not strong enough to be a Christian, you're actually at a good starting point. 
Because once you feel like that, I am strong, I can do, I can do anything on my own. Well, that's you're kind of starting off on the wrong foot. Now, starting out, Paul realized that he had sin, so he he received the forgiveness of his sins, and he rebuilt his life in Christ. That's what God wants to do. He said, once you've been raised with Christ, now we're going to be seekers of things above. Set our mind on things, not on the earth, but things in heaven. Many times you hear a lesson, and of course it ends with an invitation to be baptized, to have your sins washed away, prayers of the church. And for many of us here, I'm sure many of us, or not all, all the adults at least, are probably baptized. And you hear, you hear verses like this, and you think, well, you know, I was raised a long time ago in Christ. I was baptized a long time ago. And that renewal part of, that renewal part of my life is over. But that's not true. We need to be renewed in Christ each and every day. We have to work on putting the old self off. It's not a one-time thing where we get baptized and say, okay, I got rid of all the ways of the world and now I'm just going to start you know, living the life perfectly. Yes, that's a great mindset, but that's not reality. We're going to continually struggle with things and it's going to be a continual renewal. If you look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 13, we're told that put off the old self. And it, I just kind of broke this down in list form. Sexual immorality, impurity, evil desire, covetousness. Now, going back to the people that we had talked to that feel that, you know, these things, these things are just too strong. They can't be overcome. You know, if Paul was here right now, he would say, you know what? It's not true. I overcame the world. I was 100% confident in the way in which I thought. And I did a 180 because his eyes were open to the scriptures. We continually put on the new self, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness. You know, it's, it can be overwhelming sometimes to look at the fruit of the Spirit or, or, or look at Peter or look at passages here where it says, you know, we, we need to add all these things to our faith. We need to be accomplished all these things. But it's a lifelong journey. It's a daily process. We can, we can look at these and say, where, where can I grow today? How can I be kind? Now, I'm a, I'm a list person. I like to write things out. I did a, a lesson recently about having a vision. I'm not going to preach you a sermon within a sermon. However, what do you visualize yourself being? Let's say three years from now. That's a good amount of time. You know, you may not be able to improve all these things tomorrow. What about three years from now? What do you, how do you vision, visualize yourself? Well, three years from now, I see myself having memorized parts of the Bible. Maybe I've read it three years in a row from here and then. And I've learned to become more kind and, and compassionate. When I see someone that needs help along the road, you know, I'm going to stop and help them. I used to not be that way, but I'm going to do that. 
when I'm at the grocery store, and I'm really, this is, I'm talking to myself here. I'm at the grocery store, I'm focused. I got my, all my groceries, I used to work at a grocery store, so I got all the items separated from cold to frozen to dry. I got the heavy stuff in the back. I'm ready to go. The cashier's like, how you doing? I'm like, good. Throwing my things across, get my bags and go. So you know what? The new and improved Andrew, I'm going to make conversation with the cashier. I'm going to ask her, hey, how's your day going? You know, it's to look a little down. Is everything okay? That we can make subtle changes each and every day of our life. We understand, and Apostle Paul wrote about this, is that we are saved by God's grace. We're not saved because we're strong people. It's because God was willing to save us. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 through 16, For I would have, no, have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard from my former life in Judaism how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, and he who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Paul's saying, my upbringing really didn't matter. I knew all these things about the Jewish way, but really it was God's grace that saved me, that let me come to God. Notice here in Ephesians 2, but God being rich in mercy, because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Paul knew this better than anyone. He followed the law Perfectly, He understood that I know all this, the statutes of the Old Testament. I know all the, the commandments. He says, even knowing all that and following that, I had sin. That's why it took God's grace for me to be saved. I realize in the, in the church, sometimes we can be a little reactor, reactionary. And, uh, of course, I understand why is that someone will come to us and say, you're saved by faith only, or you're only saved by God's grace, that you can't do anything to earn your salvation. And immediately you say, whoa, 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 that's not true. You have to get baptized. Well, yes, you have to get baptized, but we shouldn't be afraid to say that we're saved by grace. The means is, yes, the process is we get baptized. That's where we have our sins forgiven, but it's because of God's grace that's made possible. I think sometimes we, we kind of overthink it. And I know I have in the past. Is where when someone says we're saved by grace, you say, absolutely. 
But when were your sins forgiven? Well, my sins were forgiven when I got baptized into Christ. That's what it says in the scriptures. But the point is, if you feel weak, that's okay. We all feel weak. Paul was weak, but God is strong. The last thing we want to mention very briefly this morning is that we want to be like Paul here. Is that once we realize the riches that God has poured out on us, that, that he has given us the tools and the ability to not only save for us to be saved, that other people can be saved as well. In Philippians chapter 3, verse starting in verse 4, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. This is his credentials, isn't it? But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that of which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that any, by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I realize that's a long passage, but it's important to understand Apostle Paul's mindset when he's preaching. He says his past, it's just trash to him. That's what it means to him now. Now that he's in Christ, he realizes what he was missing out on. And this is where it comes back to us. But Paul had an understanding of zeal. What does that mean of violence? That was the way that he learned through Phineas, Elijah, through Samson. All these people that stood up for God and led the armies into battle, King David, Saul. That's what the Apostle Paul thought. He needed to do. But then he met Christ and he realized that zeal in Christ was something different. Zeal in Christ meant it was through love and patience, not wrath. Do you realize that you have a different way of thinking than probably 95% of the rest of the world? Now, I'm not saying that to, to puff anybody up here. But people think that we're weak because we're not willing to fight. We're not willing to take up arms. We're not willing to destroy the enemies of the world. People look down on us for that and say, you're leaving that up to someone else. But that's not the way of Christ. We are to love our enemies. Zealous for Christ means to put others ahead of ourselves, even our enemies. And Paul realized that that was actually more powerful. That was much more powerful than running a spear through somebody. He says, no. He allowed himself to be persecuted, and he saw the church grow because of it. And people were inspired by that. Romans 12, verses 17, 21. Repay no one evil for evil, but give 
thought to what is honorable in all in the sight of all, if possible, as so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him some drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This world there's depression, there's sadness, there's loneliness. Who better than us to bring the light of Christ to them? People that were without hope to give them the hope through the scriptures. Never think that someone is a lost cause. Apostle Paul is a testament to that. Christ can change anyone who's willing to submit and come to him through faith. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God and for salvation. For everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as written, the righteous shall live by faith. When Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, he's actually being a little sarcastic. And this was custom to Jewish culture. He was willing to sacrifice his life for God. And he was, he was very zealous, so why would he even say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel? He, he's being sarcastic. How, why, why would I be ashamed of the gospel? It's the power of God for salvation to everyone, everyone who believes. Do you believe the scriptures are powerful? Do you believe that today? That the scriptures can change people's lives? That someone who is addicted to drugs, an abuser, who is just completely lost, can come to Christ and be changed. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.